morning, church family. Oh, the littlest of among us are marching in. My name is uh, Adam Paoli, on, and on behalf of the Elder Board, uh, we are welcome. Uh, we welcome you, and we are grateful that you were all here with us and that you brave the elements uh, to join us today. This wonderful church exists to experience and proclaim the forgiveness and the healing and the hope in Jesus Christ. Uh, this is a place where we hope you will connect with God and connect uh, with others. There's lots of opportunities here at GBC to get plugged in and connected, and we encourage you to uh, go on our website or go to the Grace Connect table out in the atrium to learn more about those connectivity opportunities. One of those opportunities to connect with our church family is uh, our monthly luncheons, which will happen today, immediately after the service. Yeah. So even if you did not RSVP, please come down and join us. Uh, we would love to see you, and we'd love to break bread with uh, you and the rest of our church family. Today is also a very special day. Anybody want to know why? Sure. Tell me. <laughs> sure. Marty wants to know. Well, today is the fifth Sunday in the month, and every once in a while we get an extra Sunday of the month, and as a result, we call those uh, family Sundays. And on those days, our service is a little bit different. We've got our kingdom kids here in the back. Where are you? I am extremely disappointed by your screaming there. <laughs> You scream way louder in every other venue of life. And that was, oh, I'm over here. Oh, it's terrible. How about one more time? Where are the kingdom kids? All right. Now that's what I was anticipating. So they're going to join us today. All the kids from age five up to age Marty will stay here throughout the service. And then I'm told they've got a little special treat for us. So that should be exciting. Uh, church family, our elder board uh, was praying really hard at the end of last year um, about uh, our hope that we would close out strong financially. And through you, um, God answered those prayers. We are thankful for your generosity and encourage you to keep worshiping through the, uh, throughout the year by the giving back of not only your financial resources, but your time and your talents. Um, you can give online. There's also secure boxes out in the atrium. And if you have any questions, feel free to come see me. I can feel a little bit of energy building in the back, and that tells me that it's time to stop talking and start praying. So please join me as uh, we pray together. Dear Heavenly Father, we come before you today to worship our Creator, our Heavenly Father, our Protector, our Comforter, and our Friend. Lord, I am at times guilty and know that we often come to you when we are in need. And although your provision is generous, we know that you desire intimacy with us. I pray that this church is one that is hungry to draw close to you, that shares all the darkest corners of our hearts with you, and invites you to join us in the pains of our past and the hope of our future. Lord, your work tells us in the book of Psalms that if we take delight in you, you will give us the desires of our heart. And if we commit our way to you and trust in you, you will bring forth righteousness and justice. As we pray this first uh, for the upcoming month of February over the church, Lord, we pray that we can be a church that delights in your goodness and all you have done for us. I pray that this church family will commit our ways to you and trust you, despite all the evils that we see on a daily basis. Lord, you know our country is broken, and we pray that you heal it. We pray our nation will remember our identity in you and our formation, and that we will return to God-honoring principles led by God-honoring leaders. As our country mourns more senseless deaths, we pray that our country turns to you for healing and hope and be slow to anger and further division. Lord, we're thankful to be a part of your family. 
and to be part of this growing church family. Over the past few months, I have clearly seen you working in this church and in this community. May we continue to be obedient to your commands and a conduit to the gift freely given of salvation through your son, Jesus Christ. In his wonderful name, all the kingdom kids said. Good morning, you guys can stand. We are a sea of voices, we are an ocean of your praise, gathered under one name, we are a tide that's rising, and we cannot be contained, gathered under one name, oh, for a Songs to sing the glories of our Lord God Almighty. Oh, to sing the Savior's praise, the triumph of His grace. You are worthy. You are worthy, God. found our anthem at the cross where sin was slain gathered under one name where every chain is broken and every sorrow swept away gathered under to sing the glories of our Lord, God Almighty. Oh, to sing the Savior's praise, the triumph of His grace. You are worthy. You are worthy,
keep you have been faithful and all my life you have been so so good with every breath that i am able i will sing of the goodness of god your goodness is running after it's running after me oh your goodness is running after running after me with my life laid down i'm surrendered now i give you everything oh your goodness is running after it's running after me your goodness is running after it's running after me your goodness is running after it's running after me With my life laid down I surrender now I give you everything Your goodness is running after It's running after me And all my life you have been faithful And all my life you have been so, so good With every breath that I am made I will sing of the goodness of God Oh, I will sing of the goodness of God All right, you guys can have a seat.
I have too many things to put up here. <laughs> Hi, guys. Good job today. <laughs> All right. Okay. Good morning, everyone. Uh, my name is Abrielle. I go by Bree. Many of you know me by that name. Um, so I'm going to talk about a trip that I was just on for three months. And I was wondering, guys, do you know what country I was just in? Yeah, Kazakhstan. Good job. Yeah. <laughs> Kazakhstan. Mm -hmm. So I was just in Kazakhstan for three months. Um, do you guys know what languages they speak there? Not Spanish, no. <laughs> Russian, yeah, good job. Any other languages? Uh, Some people speak English, yeah. Uh, isn't there a Kazakhstan language? Yes, it's called Kazakh. Good, yes. <laughs> yeah, so we're going to learn two, um, we're going to learn how to say hi in both Kazakh and Russian. Are you ready? Okay, so Privyet is hi in Russian. Can you say that? Privyet. Mm -hmm. Is it? Cool. Yeah, they're very similar. It's actually Russian, I think. <laughs> um, and then in Kazakh, it's Salem. 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 Okay. So you'll you'll use that later when I'll talk about that later. Um, but today, Pastor Adam is going to talk about friendship in his sermon. So make sure you listen for that. Um, but first, I want to tell you about the friends that I made in Kazakhstan. So I'm going to go through different categories of the different friends that I made in Kazakhstan. So uh, this is one of my favorite pictures. It's a picture of over Taraz, and you can see the mountains in the background. Um, so this is just a brief overview of my three months in Taraz, Kazakhstan. Um, so my first uh, category of friendship is with the children. Um, so I worked at, um, a, uh, I worked, I volunteered at an organization called um, Caring Heart, and they minister to um, children and mothers, and their goal is to foster relationships between um, hurting, hurting families, basically, single moms usually, and, and their children. So, um, so these are the kids at the fund, uh, that's what we call it, Caring Heart, we call it the fund, so I'll say that a lot. Um, but these are the children that live at the fund. They have about 30 kids that live there. And then they have a day program that has about 100 kids, including the, um, the children that live there. So these are the kids on my last day there. Um, we were just taking a picture, and um, it was very sad to leave them. Um, but yeah, so these are some of the kids I worked with. And then I had, so one of the things that I did to build relationships with them was teaching English. Uh, I had a day class and a night class. On the right is the, um, the day class. And I had two kids' classes from ages 5 years old to 10 years old. Are any of you that age? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> You're 5. There you go. <laughs> so, and then at night, there was, I just came to the house where the kids lived. And as you can see, they're in their pajamas. And so we just worked on English twice a night. So that was a little bit crazy sometimes, but it was really fun, and I, I enjoyed both, both classes. Um, <clears throat> so the, I'm going to quickly go through these pictures, but 
Uh, this is just in um, like the cultural area of downtown Taraz, and there are some very beautiful architecture and buildings and some museums in the background. Um, so this is the class that I taught the kids. I, I went three months of doing the five senses. So we did three classes on one sense. Um, and so that was really fun. I something we worked on for a while, um, but I, I really enjoyed teaching them. Um, so these were two girls that I worked with individually. They had a little bit higher English level, so I, we would re read, this is Simba on the left, and that's Medina on the right. Um, and then, so we would also get to do some fun activities on weekends with the older kids. Um, this is my first day, or one of my first days there, bowling on the left, and then on the right are some of the older boys who speak English very well, um, since they've grown up with the two American women that um, started the fund. Um, but Nikita's on the right, and I did grammar classes with him individually, and then um, the kid in the back, Vladik, I did um, baking with him. So I taught him baking, because he wants to be a chef when he grows up. <laughs> um, and then this is museums, like in the picture I showed before, and on the right we were taking um, two kids out for birthday shopping. <laughs> and so birthdays are actually a big deal. Every kid gets celebrated. Every staff member gets celebrated. There's pretty much a birthday celebration every week. <laughs> um, and the kids at the fun, they get like to be taken out um, to dinner by Beth, you can see up there. And then on the right is Vladek's birthday. Um, so that's a, that's a special way that Victoria and Beth, who are the leaders I'll show you later, uh, get to um, bless the teachers and the kids. Um, so they get sung happy birthday. Their moms are typically asked to bring a cake, and um, they get gifts, too. So it's a, it's a fun time. So baking, I did baking. I taught um, one woman how to make um, the soft pretzels so that they could sell them at the store <laughs> um, that they have there. And some more pictures of the kids. I'm going to have to go through these fast. This is... Uh, Milana and I am, these two cuties are, um, so she's like two weeks old in that picture, and then Milana is three, but she's small for her age because they both have fetal alcohol syndrome. Um, so a lot of the kids suffer from fetal alcohol syndrome um, and have to learn how to cope in a world that's a little bit uh, difficult for them. Um, but Victoria and Beth work with these kids uh, a lot, and um, it is amazing to see where they're at now compared to where they, like the stories that I've heard about where they've come from. Um, so if you do want to know more about the stories, I have a lot of them. I just don't have time to share them. Um, but just, yeah, these kids are amazing to me. Um, so, yeah, some more kids. Jasmina in the middle, um, and Nersultan has Down syndrome. Jasmina has fetal alcohol syndrome, and she's... She's a little bit difficult to handle sometimes, but she's a joy. I love her. <laughs> and then baby Ziri on the right. So they have two babies. Um, this is at a conference that I went to in Austin. I did some traveling. <laughs> um, we went to a teacher conference there. Um, we did an out, uh, outside of the fund. There was an English club that I helped at, and um, some of the older kids from the fund went there. Some more pictures of the kids. <laughs> 
Um, okay, so second category, hopefully this will go faster from now on. Sorry, it's gonna take a little while. Um, so the friendship with the staff, there's a lot of staff there. Um, they have around 50 employees. Um, and most of them are actually moms of the children. So they employ the moms. Uh, they're office workers, house cleaners, kitchen staff, grounds and maintenance workers, house helpers, teachers, social workers, speech and physical therapists, psychologists, and tutors for the older kids. So I did English classes with some of the teachers. So on the left is the intermediate class, and on the right is the beginner class. Um, so yeah, Salsa Matt was an English teacher. She's on the right. Um, Ah, this is a yurt. <laughs> Do you guys have you guys ever seen a yurt before? Uh, no. Yeah, they have a lot of these in Kazakhstan and Kyrgyzstan. Um, this is Tanya and Duman. They are a Christian couple that um, moved to Taraz to help with the fund, and they started their own English um, company called English Point, and they were um, a great blessing to me. Um, yeah. Um, do you? <laughs> Sorry, totally unexpected. I think you have a microphone. I want to point something out. This is a yurt. Do you know what a yurt is? That's a people's house. This is the traditional house of Kazakhstan, Kurdistan, and some other countries. Can you imagine living in that, what that would be like? Think about the house that you live in now. What would it look like if it were that? All right. <laughs> yeah, not everybody lives in those right now, but they, <laughs> they do have them, and actually lots of people do go and visit them and like to stay in them, and it is really cool. It was really cold that night, though, so we didn't actually sleep in it. Um, uh, yeah, so, so these are the office workers and some of the house helpers, and um, we got to on the left is tea time. So tea time is a very important part of Kazakh culture and um, I spent a lot of time eating bread, candy, lots of things and drinking lots of tea and being caffeinated um, with the Kazakh people, but I loved it. Um, so yeah, this is Asel, Natasha, Ailita became one, um, they all were very good friends. Um, <clears throat> some more friends, Nastia, and I went to their churches with them, so I went to a few different Russian-speaking churches, which was really a cool opportunity and got to connect better with some of the teachers that live there. Um, we, they ever, everyone takes trains in Kazakhstan. This is a train to Astana, which is the capital. It's a 13-hour train ride. Uh, so we went on an overnight train ride one time. Um, that was, was fun, <laughs> I suppose. Then, so third category, friendship with my host family. This is a very unexpected friendship. I, um, yeah, I, I didn't know what to expect with my host home, but they became very, very good friends. Like, um, so there's Denise and Mark on the left, and then Galhara and um, Sophia on the right. And um, so this, this friendship became really important because I got to actually live life with them and um, got to be with them in some kind of hard situations. And um, yeah, even though like they speak a little bit of English, so I was able to communicate, but even with the limited, we were able to talk about God and um, they were interested in going to church. So I, I do pray, if you would pray with me, that they would um, end up going to one of the churches that I was at and 
um, that they would come to know the Lord. So the leadership, this is Victoria on the left, and this is Beth on the right. This is kind of, I didn't realize this, but this is on my first day there. Victoria welcoming me on my last day there. Beth sending me off. Um, so they were, they're amazing. I don't know how to explain them, but they do everything. <laughs> um, they're two women who have just completely left their lives here in America and just chosen to live in Kazakhstan and um, adopt, like basically adopt these children as theirs. And <clears throat> so Victoria lives at the fund, and she is, they call her Appa, which means grandmother um, in Kazakh. And so she lives with the children. Beth is there almost all the time. And they just gave their lives for these kids and, their, and the mothers that are there. Um, and then Yulia is on the left picture. She's the woman in the front with the blonde hair and the glasses. And then Rue is on the right. Um, they are two women who have also dedicated a lot of time towards the fund and have really poured into the kids' lives. Um, and have, all four of these women have become really close friends to me, and I miss them a lot. Um, they, so they don't all only just like take in kids and mothers. They take in a lot of animals here. And this is Pippi and Bilbo. He's one of the um, two three-legged dogs on the property. Um, so it's really fun. They have lots of animals, dogs, cats, rabbits, rats, lots of things. <laughs> um, yeah, and then the last category is friendship outside of the fund. Um, sorry, guys, I know you're getting antsy over here. Um, but I made a lot of, I just, a lot of acquaintances around um, Taraz, even in Astana and Almaty, and um, everyone was just really welcoming to me. And um, so I even have up there, there's a picture, it's really small, but uh, it's people, TV news broadcasters. I did Taekwondo for like three times. And because I spoke English, they did an interview of me, and I was on TV. So, yeah, just funny, funny things. I'm not good on video, just letting you know. <laughs> um, so this is a trip to Kyrgyzstan. I had to go there for two days because of my, um, my visa. Um, but these are two different missionaries that just took us in. This is Gaini and Ailita. Gaini was my um, Kazakh teacher, and... Um, Ailita was, is a psychologist, but she's also become like a really good friend. So we traveled there together, and these two missionaries just took us in. The, the ones on the left are the ones who let us stay in their yurt for free, and then the other ones live in Bishkek, Kyrgyzstan. But it was really cool because Gaini and Ailita are not believers, and they got to experience like Christian households and praying before a meal, and um, just yeah, the love that. Um, these missionaries had to give. So I, I do pray for them as well, that um, the Lord would touch their hearts. Um, so I wanted to talk about some things that I struggled with. Do you guys know what this is at all? Eggs. <laughs> they said eggs. No, this it's a good guess. What is it? I heard something. No. So this is, this is called kort, and it's basically like dried milk whey, and it's very salty, and it's, <laughs> um, and then on the right is um, plov, which is rice and meat. So in the middle is lamb, but on the right there's horse meat. So they eat a lot of horse meat. Um, so one thing that I did struggle with, I'll talk about some things I struggled with, was food. Um, <laughs> I ate a lot of horse, which wasn't bad. I think my stomach just was not having it, though. So food I struggled with. <laughs> um, so another thing would be, like, Cultural things, I didn't exactly know when people meant no, because you ask 
someone a question and they say no, but they don't really mean it. You're supposed to ask again and then they say no and then they don't really mean it. So you're supposed to ask again and then maybe they'll have a different answer for you. So that I struggled with. Um, <laughs> uh, then there's gift giving. Everybody gives a lot of gifts. I hope I gave enough gifts. I don't know, but that was something. Do, am I supposed to give a gift for this situation? Um, yeah, and then another thing I was just, I, I struggled with um, the kids. I, I loved the kids, and there were some tough situations where I, I just was really sad for them and heartbroken, and so just like wrestling with um, just the stories that I heard and, and what they have to go through in life. Um, communicating was hard sometimes. Sorry, I'm way over time. Um, <laughs> but yeah, communicating in a different language. <clears throat> I was learning two languages. Both of them I didn't know when I went there. Um, but yeah, that was definitely a struggle. But a few things that I loved about Kazakhstan. Um, so traveling, um, I got to go to Almaty, which is a six hour drive away, and then Astana, which is about a 13 hour drive away. Or not tra drive, train ride. Um, and yeah, I just got to experience a lot of Kazakhstan, which is a very huge country, um, by the way. <laughs> and uh, this is actually at the bazaar, and it was a really fun place to go. Have you guys ever heard of a bazaar? Yeah? What do you think it is? What do you think a bazaar is? Dane, do you know? A what? Okay, there are cafeterias in it. <laughs> it's a good guess, especially with this picture. A restaurant. So a bazaar. This isn't actually a picture of the bazaar. This is me in a in a little restaurant in the bazaar. Bazaar is like a big marketplace, kind of like a farmer's market, but way bigger. So it's outside and, and inside, but yeah, it's very big and it was quite fun and confusing. <laughs> um, so that was something that I loved and traveling everywhere. They have some beautiful mountains. Um, I loved Kazakh chocolate, so that was one thing the food had. Um, and then sunsets. I really love the sunsets in Kazakhstan. And here in this top picture, there's a basketball hoop that's at the fund. I loved playing basketball with the kids and, and soccer. Um, that was one way to bond with them. And then, uh, yeah, some things that I missed about Kazakhstan, the mountains. And um, I really miss the children, too. I miss all the people. Um, I actually miss learning the languages. This is the Kazakh alphabet. Um, yeah, it was, it was a really cool experience. And I miss the fellowship around meals that we had. I think that America doesn't do that as well as in uh, some other countries. Um, but yeah, the, the time that it took to make a meal and to fellowship around it, um, I thought was really important. Um, so I do want to say thank you. <laughs> Thanks for listening, first of all. I know that was long. Um, but also thank you to anyone who supported me and for praying for me because I really know um, that God was just over this whole trip. And I, know, I knew people were, tr were praying for me. I could tell because I was the most flexible that I have ever been. I, I don't know where that came from, but except for the Lord. <laughs> um, so I, yeah, I just want to say thank you for supporting me and listening to me and praying for me and for those who reached out to me while I was there. Uh, if you do want to know more, I did write some letters while I was there. You can ask me later to send those to you. Um, and just be in prayer for me, please, as I consider maybe going back, because I really do miss being there. And I made some wonderful friends, as you can see. Um, so 
that's all I have for now. Those are the friends that I made in Kazakhstan, and I wish you guys could meet them all. Um, I'm curious, though, do any of you have lots of friends? Yeah, you do? Do you like making new friends? Yeah, that's good. I'm glad. So today, you have the opportunity to write a letter to the kids in Kazakhstan, the ones that we just saw, while uh, Pastor Adam uh, speaks. So um, here, I'll go back to this first picture. a lot of slides. Ah. Oh, here we go. Okay, so these are the kids that you would be sending the letters to, and I want to encourage the older kids too, because um, we have some older kids here that actually speak English. So if you're, I don't know, between 13, 18, Saule is 18, um, you can write a letter too. So kids who are here, um, I think your parents already have the, these sheets that my mom printed out right here. They're very cute. They, and they have the, um, the words hi in, in Kazakh and Russian on them. So make sure that you write those. Um, yeah, so that's all I have. Thank you for listening. Thank you, Bree. Loved hearing all the stories about friendship. You know, friendship, there's something fundamental about friendship to our human existence. I mean, if you look at the book of Genesis, it talks about it's not good that man would be alone. It's certainly written in the context of marriage, but the idea and the principle there is still important and valid. The philosopher Cicero said, life is nothing without friendship. I mean, there's nothing like a friend, one who really, really gets you, someone you just click with. And so once you experience life together in deeper, profound ways, you know, Winnie the Pooh said, <laughs> I knew when I met you an adventure was going to happen. Okay? That's what it means to have a real, deep, personal friendship with somebody. A life well lived is that adventure. And friends are meant to walk with you along the journey. Do you have a friend like that? You know, I would be willing to bet that some of you do not. I'd certainly be willing to bet that many of you do. Perhaps maybe a more important question is, are you a friend like that to others? Do you love like that? Do you bring that to the table and the, with the people around you? You see, God desires that we be good friends and that we have good friends. Because the truth is, is we can be bad friends. The truth is, is that we can make friendships about us. And we need to know how to avoid this if we are going to strive to be the friend that God would have us be. So the question is, is what does a good friend look like? I think there are probably dozens and dozens of attributes that could encapsulate what it means to be a good friend. But today we're going to look at a specific character in the book of 1 Samuel. We are going to look at Jonathan. Jonathan was David's best friend. Jonathan was a great friend, and we can learn a lot about him. So we're actually going to cover, after we just sat through and listened to all that, I mean, we're going to cover four chapters of 1 Samuel today, lightning fast. So I need you guys to be paying attention, because we got baked potatoes waiting for us downstairs after this as well. So who can tell me about the story of David and Goliath in 
a few words. Go ahead. That's right. David was brave enough to kill, Dane said, a really big human. That's true. Goliath. You know how tall Goliath was? Close. Go ahead. How tall was Goliath? We're getting closer. Go ahead. Nine feet tall. Goliath was nine feet tall. And David, what was David's day job before he killed Goliath? Go ahead. He was a shepherd, and he was a tough guy. He would be out there with his flocks protecting them. He would be out there killing wild animals that sought to take his sheep and goats away. David was a pretty tough guy. And so David comes, and he defeats Goliath, who was a Philistine, before the entire Philistine army, before the entire Israel, uh, uh, Hebrew army. Okay, And after he does that, he comes before King Saul and he talks and says, this is who I am. I am the son of Jesse. That is the book, no, chapter 17. This is where we start today, chapter 18. And this is what it says. 1 Samuel chapter 18. As soon as he had finished speaking to Saul, the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David. And Jonathan loved him as his own soul. And Saul took him, this is David, that day and would not let him return to his father's house. Then Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as his own soul. And Jonathan stripped himself of the robe that was on him and gave it to David and his armor and even his sword and his bow and his belt. And David went out and was successful wherever Saul sent him, so that Saul set him over the men of war. And this was good in the sight of all the people and also in the sight of Saul's servants. The first thing we can learn from Jonathan here is that friends are committed to one another. The text says here that the souls of Jonathan and David were knit together. Knitting is a process, of course, by which we weave yarns together to create an indestructible, a, a much stronger fabric that holds together, that's knotted and tied together. Scripture says that Jonathan and David's heart were knitted together. At that moment, Jonathan made a decision. He heard David speak. He had seen what David had done, and he said, this is my kind of guy. I am going to commit myself to this person. I'm going to make the decision to be loyal. And so he makes a covenant with David. The question is, is what is a covenant? A covenant is a, we'll call it a highfalutin promise. It's a promise that's sealed by a solemn oath. It's a promise between two parties in which there are threats for not obeying and there are promises for keeping. A covenant is rooted in the idea of love. In the Old Testament, the word hesed is a word associated with covenants. It means faithfulness. It means loving kindness, tender mercy. It means I'm always going to be with you. Jonathan makes that, that decision, and he keeps his promises. He decides to stay with David even when things get hard, and they will surely get hard in the coming chapters. He decides that they will walk through the hard stuff together. 
Now, I don't know about you, but I certainly have had moments in my life, seasons that were really, really difficult, very painful. And I know that God blessed me through those seasons by granting me someone in my life who walked with me, someone who carried the burden and the load with me. Galatians 6.2 talks about carrying the burdens of one another, and by doing so, we fulfill the law of Christ, the very essence of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. When we carry the burdens and share with those around us, it's what it means to be a real friend. When we say, how can I come alongside you? What can I do? How can I make this easier for us? How can we do this better? Proverbs 17, 17 says that a friend loves at all times and a brother is born for adversity. This idea that a friend and a brother are nearly synonymous here. There is something about a deep, true friendship that borders on family. But Jonathan made this commitment at a cost. There's a sacrifice to commit to friends like this. First of all, Jonathan really sacrificed his own interest. Later on in the story, Jonathan continues to defend David and Saul. His dad says, what are you doing? Do you not want to be king? I'm setting things up here. If I move David out of the way, you will be king. Don't you want that? Jonathan says no. Jonathan's heart was knit. He had made the commitment to this man, David, that wherever David would go, he would go. He was losing a great deal in casting his lot with David. He was even potentially losing the relationship with his father, certainly straining it because of his promise to walk with David. He sacrificed time. He had spent time with David. In our own friendships, perhaps that's one of the most important aspects of it. The sacrifice of time, quality time, being together, listening well to the heart of the people in our lives, of our friends. You know, this isn't an easy task. This is something we need to learn. Some people are, seem to be, be born with this gift, that they just draw things right out of you and that they listen and hear what you have to say. Brothers, it's a little more difficult. For me, I want to give a solution all the time. I'll listen, but now I want to give you what I think. Friends don't always do that. Friends know when to keep silent. Friends know when to speak. Friends know how to continue to draw more out. And that sacrifice of time, when we spend time with friends, needs to be completely selfless, lest we make it all about us. We sacrifice our talents. We use our God-given gifts for our friends. We lend a hand when we're able I found in my life that God has blessed me with an ability on paper to wordsmith like a public relations document. I know how to make something sound really good. So I have friends calling me all the time. Hey, I have this cover letter I need to write. How do I make this sound like this? Sometimes I'm in the middle of something. But because I love my friends and because I desire to use my gifts for their benefit, I take the time. And all of you have these gifts. All of you have these abilities that you can sacrifice, that you can use for the benefit of the other person, your friend. Jonathan even here sacrifices his treasure. He gives all of his battle gear up. He gives his robe, his royal robe. He gives his sword. He gives his shield. He gives a bow. 
But it's not just about financial blessing. It's not just about our money that we give. Being a friend doesn't just mean that we lend money all the time. There are times that we can enrich ourselves in other ways at the expense of our friends. I think about when I was in school, how this was sort of that politicking that occurred in middle school and high school. We can be enriched at the expense of our friends by siding with other friends in controversies that we have no business really being in. As adults, we can have friends at work and we end up siding with someone else in order to gain that promotion and thus enriching ourselves. The way we interact and treat other people, those who we call our friends, can enrich us by giving us reputation that we wouldn't otherwise have. Are we willing to sacrifice what other people think about us in order to be that faithful friend? Jonathan surely did. Jonathan surely did. If you notice, just right here in this one piece, just this commitment piece, it's not possible to stay committed or to be committed like this to too many people. There's not enough of me to go around. There's not enough of you to go around. Part of being a good friend, especially a Jonathan-type friend here, a bestie, is that there is only one or two. It's somebody that you focus on. It's somebody that you're intentional with. It's somebody that you say, you're mine and I'm yours. You see, we live in a world today that tells us that the more friends we have, the better we are. Don't make this mistake. I notice sometimes even when I'm on Facebook or even when I'm on other social media, I go down and see the friends and say, 2,000 friends? That must be someone I want to know. The truth is I've never shared a word with them because they're too busy with the other 1,999. Don't make the mistake of thinking lots of shallow friendships is equivalent to just one or two deep ones. Quality of friends will always take the day over quantity of friends. Because when things get really hard, the ones who are committed to us are the ones who will walk with us. Proverbs 18, 24. A man of many companions may come to ruin, but there's a friend who sticks closer than a brother. It's not just about acquaintances. It's not just about companions. It's about that person and being that person in someone else's life that says, I'm here. I will always be here. I will not let you walk this road alone. When we move into chapter 19, we see that what happens now is they're coming back from this battle. David has just defeated Goliath. Jonathan has just promised David and covenanted with him that he will be with him forever. And they come back from the battle. And as they come through, the people of the towns who have heard about what have happened come out and say, Saul has killed his thousands and David his ten thousands. And it says David's heart was jealous and set against, or Saul's heart was jealous and set against David. Saul was, was so happy as soon as David had defeated Goliath, but as soon as it came back and took any of the attention away from him, he was set against him. And what we see in this relationship with Jonathan is again and again Saul seeking to take David's life. So think about this. Think, put yourself in Jonathan's shoes right now. You have a friend. You've made a promise to this friend. You've cast your lot. You have said, I am with you. Your dad hates your friend to such an extent that your dad is seeking to kill them. 
what are you going to do in that situation? Think about that. Think about the stress of being torn between a friend whom you love and a father who you love who's trying to kill the friend who you love. There's a, it's a big, stressful deal here when we see it. Let's look at 1, Psalm, or 1 Samuel 19. Verse 1, And Saul spoke to Jonathan his son and to all of his servants that they should kill David. So he's got his mark on him. But Jonathan, Saul's son, delighted much in David. And Jonathan told David, Saul, my father, seeks to kill you. He's saying, hey, my dad wants to get you. Therefore, be on your guard in the morning. Stay in a secret place and hide yourself, and I will go out and stand beside my father in the field where you are, and I will speak to my father about you. If I learn anything, I'll tell you. Jonathan spoke well of David to Saul, his father, and said to him, so now says Jonathan advocating for David. Let not the king sin against your servant David, because he has not sinned against you. And because his deeds have brought you good, he's reasoning with Saul now. Don't do this. For he took his life in his hand, and he struck down the Philistine, and the Lord worked a great salvation for all Israel, and you saw it and rejoiced. Why then will you sin against innocent blood by killing David without cause? Now we know why. Saul is jealous. And Saul listened to the voice of Jonathan this time. And Saul swore, as the Lord lives, he shall not be put to death. Later on, we see that Saul breaks that oath. One of the things that I noticed in preparation for this is I really read carefully through the life of Saul and really looked at the verses, what they said about the character of this man. And this man was a monster. This man, I would encourage you to go back and, and read about Saul. He shall not be put to death. Verse 7, And Jonathan called David, and Jonathan reported to him all these things. And Jonathan brought David to Saul, and he was in his presence as before. And then he would play the harp for Saul when he would have problems. Then every once in a while, Saul would just have a, a, a breakdown and try to kill him. David would go running again. Jonathan delighted in David. Do we delight in our friends? When your friend shows up, or when, better yet, when you see on the caller ID who's calling, do you delight? Do your friends delight when you call? I fear what some of you think when you see my name come up on the caller ID. Jonathan speaks and intercedes for David before his father, the most powerful man on earth at the moment. There's no one more powerful. This is the second thing about Jonathan, about what we can learn about friends. Friends defend one another. Friends defend one another. They protect each other's reputation. First of all, by pushing against unfair commentary. We all know this. We've had friends, good friends. We're in a group, and the other group is talking about our friend. What do we do? Sometimes we're tempted to laugh. Sometimes we're tempted to even join in. True friends defend each other in the face of gossip and the questioning of someone's reputation. Defending against slander. slander. Proverbs 31, 8 and 9 says, Open your mouth for the mute, for the rights of all who are destitute. Open your mouth, judge righteously, defend the rights of the poor and needy. When your friend is not there, they are poor and needy. They cannot defend themselves. God wants us to guard our tongue in the way we speak about our friends in front of other friends. We defend them. We don't unfairly comment ourselves. Peter tells us to put away all malice and deceit and hypocrisy and envy and slander. We only say that which we would want our friend to hear had they been there at that moment. 
three, friends warn each other of danger. Friends warn each other of danger. First of all, from outside, from others. They say, hey, I want you to know so-and-so is saying this about you. Hey, I've been praying and I've been thinking about your situation at work and I think it would be good for you to be cautious about this person. We're thinking and enriching and, and asking God to show us more and more about how we can help defend our friends from the outside and those who would seek to hurt them. I would say even for us, this is a really important piece of spiritual warfare. This is where we raise up and bring our friends before the throne of God and we proclaim power over them. We ask God to protect them for those things that seek to hurt them. So not only from the outside do we warn our friends, but we warn our friends uh, regarding their own choices. Regarding their own choices. Acts 20, 31 and 32 says, Therefore be alert. This is Paul speaking. Remembering to the, to the Ephesian church. Remembering that for three years I did not cease day or night to admonish every one of you with tears, to warn every one of you. Now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace. Proverbs 27, 6 says, Faithful are the wounds of a friend, but profuse are the kisses of the enemy. There are times that we need to say hard things to the people we love, to our friends, and there are times when they need to say them to us. I often wonder, if I never hear any of this criticism from the people closest to me, am I really close to them? Am I really showing them what's going on? Are they really appraised of what is happening in my life? Am I opening myself up and my heart to that criticism, that really it's admonishment, that warning? Hey, you know what you're doing. I think it's a dangerous thing. Hey, God's word says this. I think you should be cautious. It's not nitpicking. It's not, hey, get out of my business. It's not, hey, I've got this on my own. You worry about you. This is the loving thing to do. Jonathan warns David, my father's coming to get you. Do not do this. And if you notice, Jonathan warns his father, do not kill this man who has done this good thing for us and for the nation of Israel. Not only do they warn each other, they advocate for one another. Jonathan advocated before his father and said, reason, think about this, dad. Don't do this thing. We make sure that we let our friends know that we're on their side, that I'm with, I'm with you on this. When we can come before God and pray for our friends, we should. We must. Life is hard. Who else is there that will raise us up like this, who know us to such a degree, this is a key part of friendship, who know us to such a degree that when they pray, they can really hit the spot. We don't have a lot of people in our lives, sadly, who really know what's going on in our hearts. So when they pray for us, it's very superficial. By default, there's no other way. We haven't told them. But rarely will somebody know what you're dealing with unless you actually say it. Because most people are not mind readers. That was a joke. Okay, chapter 20, the promise. This is verse 12 and 17. 12 through 17. Jonathan says, no one's going to hurt you. My father's not going to get you. David says, your father knows that we're friends. Your father knows that, that we're together and that you're siding with me. He's just not going to tell you. So he's going to find a way around you in order to still get me. 
12. And Jonathan says to David, the Lord, the God of Israel, be witness when I have sounded out my father about this time tomorrow or the third day. Behold, if, it is well dis- if he is well disposed toward David, shall I not then send and disclose it to you? One of the things you got to know about when you're reading Hebrew scripture, the Old Testament, often a, qu- a statement of fact will be posed as a question. So when Jonathan is saying, shall I not send and disclose it to you? He's saying, I'm going to do it. I will send and disclose it to you. But should it please my father to do, the, do you harm the Lord, do so to Jonathan, and more also, if I do not disclose it to you and send you away, that you may go in safety. May the Lord be with you as he has been with my father. If I am still alive, show me. See, this is an interesting line. May he be with you as he was with my father. David is beginning, or Jonathan is beginning to understand that David is the rightful king. Now, I don't believe at this point it's been disclosed to this, about to this point yet, but, so, but Jonathan knows. He's seen the behavior of his father. He sees what God has done through his father, and now he sees God doing the same thing through David. 14, if I am still alive, show me the steadfast love of the Lord that I may not die. When you're king, don't kill me, which would have been a reasonable thing to do at the time. When a new king takes over, you eliminate the threat. He's saying, have mercy on me. And do not cut off your steadfast love from my house forever when the Lord cuts off every one of the enemies of David from the face of the earth. And again, Jonathan makes a promise with the house of David, a covenant with the house of David, saying, may the Lord take vengeance on David's enemies. And Jonathan made David swear again by his love for him, for he loved him as he loved his own soul. Do we have friends like this? Hey, guys, do you have friends like this? That you love like you love your own soul? I think the guys in here can relate that we have some pretty weak friendships. That as we get older, we get isolated. As we get older, we don't have the same people in our lives than we did when we were in our 20s and 30s even. I mean, life happens. We begin protecting and providing for our family. Things sort of drift apart. But the Bible is clear that the importance of deep friendships, especially for guys in this culture, the women sort of are ahead at start on us. But the men especially, we need to be intentional and make effort to love our friends like this. Four, friends keep their promises to one another. We live in a culture permeated by the idea of <laughs> overpromising and underdelivering. This is what we do. As believers and especially as friends, we need to be dependable. Dependable. Kids, think about your friends. When your friends ask you to do something and you make a promise, do you keep that promise? Are you dependable for your friends to count on you? Are you there when your friends are struggling, adults? Can your friends depend on you to keep your conf- their confidence? If you share your heart, do they know that it will not go anywhere and they can count on you to keep it close to their heart? The net, it will never get out. If you're in a tough spot, who would you call that you know is going to answer? I once had a friend. He was not a very you know, in, intimate friend at all, but he was somebody who would call me. I know him from recovery circles. He would call me at random times. And all that would happen is I'd pick up and say, hello. He'd say, hey, it's me, just making sure you'd answer. Have a good night. And he hung up. Sometimes it would happen at four in the morning. 
Who's going to pick up at four in the morning for you? <laughs> there needs to be people, and you need to be that, those people as well. Somebody calls at four in the morning, you pick up. What are we talking about? What are we doing together? How can I walk with you at this time? Clearly, four in the morning, something's happening. I'm there. I'm for you. We need to be people who are dependable. God wants us to be dependable because this is who God is. Jesus tells us to let our yeses be yeses and our noes be noes. This means we are to be true to our word and to be the kind of people that do not need something external to force us to do the right thing, to force us to keep our word. Promise keeping is an essential trait for believers because it's one of the most basic character traits of our Father, of who God is. Our Father makes promises to us because he is good. Our Father is faithful to that promise, and he does what he says. Those promises give us hope and reassurance. Promises here on earth, when we keep them, are like the earthly manifestation of that word I talked about, hesed, that steadfast mercy, that loving kindness, that I'm going to love you and always love you. I'm not going anywhere. But let's be honest. Promises are sometimes pretty hard to keep. They can be. Number one rule in keeping a promise, consider what you're promising. We allow things in our heart to motivate us to just blurt out, I got you, <laughs> before we consider the cost of making that promise. We really do need to be very cognizant of what it is that we're promising. A very practical thing, set reminders. Set reminders. Because it's so easy to forget. Overcome your laziness. Sometimes we just need to do what we need to do. Once we've gotten ourselves into a promise, we keep it. And think of the relational implications of not keeping a, a promise. Think about what might happen if you don't. Okay, chapter 21, the goodbye. So Saul is going to kill David. He's really trying to kill David. So Jonathan, remember, promises to David that I will alert you should my father want to kill you. And what we're going to do is we're gonna, you're going to hide behind this rock. I'm going to come out, and I'm going to shoot an arrow, okay? This is going to be an indication that you got to run. you got to run. Okay, so what happens is, is they come out, Jonathan talks to Saul, it's clear Saul is going to get him, there's no question about it, and it says in verse 41, 1 Samuel 21, 41, as soon as the boy had gone, Jonathan took a kid with him to go collect the arrows, my kind of choice, uh, boy had gone, David rose from behind the stone heap and fell on the ground and bowed three times. So now this is David bowing to Jonathan, and they kissed one another and wept wept with one another, David weeping the most. Then Jonathan said to David, go in peace, because we have sworn both of us in the name of the Lord, saying the Lord shall never be between me and you and between my offspring and your offspring forever. And he rose and departed, and Jonathan went into the city. David made himself vulnerable by showing not only his sort of love and appreciation and the way that he was physically vulnerable, bowing down before him, showing reverence to his friend, thanking his friend, and really coming out from behind that rock. David was sure that Jonathan would have been followed, undoubtedly. So coming out, David saying, I will brave the danger to do this thing for you but perhaps more importantly, emotionally. Neither of these men were afraid to show their emotions. This is the fifth point, and then we're done. Friends share their emotions with one another. Friends share their emotions with one another. Many of us have been taught, stop crying. Suck it up. 
Make your emotions irrelevant. They do not matter. Especially those of us who've been in the military and the older generations who went through the depression and post-depression time. Pick yourself up by your bootstraps. Stop crying and do what you need to do. If you're not sharing with friends, though, at an emotional level, your acquaintance is at best. At best. A friendship is supposed to be a safe place where one can share one's cares, struggles, disappointments, and failures without judgment or shame or fixing. This is truly sharing at the heart level. There are a few guys now, you see me, I'll sometimes get choked up up here, and I, I mean, I have no problem with showing emotion, but there are some guys in my life that I, I floodgates. If, it's, if, if this is what is happening in my heart, they need to hear this, and they know that they can do it with me too. It does not need to look like a therapy session, and it doesn't need to be sappy. It just needs to be honest. How about this statement? I'm afraid. I'm afraid. I, I, I worry about some of, the, some of you older guys. Would you get with another guy, your friend, and just, I'm afraid? For this, just being honest, this doctor's appointment is going to be really, really hard. I'm not looking forward to it. For kids, telling your friends, hey, you know when the teacher said that to me? I was really embarrassed. Putting out those emotions in those tender places in your heart. This is what it means to share with honesty and to share your emotions with a friend. A lot can be said about friendship. A lot can be said about Jonathan, even more than what I did. Jonathan is a wonderful example of a great friend, but there's one even greater, and it's Jesus. John 15, 13, Jesus says, Greater love has no one than this, that someone laid down his life for his friends. He's talking about himself. And we look at these points, that what Jonathan exemplifies in his life with David, friends are committed to one another. Christ is committed to you. He's with you. I'm with you. I will not leave you. I will always be with you. Friends defend one another. Christ defends you by the power of his spirit against the spiritual forces that would seek to pull you down. He defended you by hanging on your cross that you would be forever at peace with the Father. Friends warn each other of danger. Christ has given us his word and he's given us his spirit that tells us, don't do this. Don't do this. The conviction that we feel as children of God. Friends, keep their promises to one another. Jesus says, I will be back, and he is coming. He says that there are things that will be for sure, and they will, because they're established on God's word, his word. His promises stand firm. And friends share their emotions with one another. Who knows the shortest verse in the Bible? Jesus wept. Jesus wept. What about the day, the, the night before he's crucified? He goes to Gethsemane, and he brings the three a little further along than the rest. He says, my soul is in anguish within me. What about the moments that we see in Jesus' life as a real human being, like us feeling the feelings that we feel being overcome with love or sadness or crushing grief? 
If Jesus is willing to share these things with his friends there, surely we should as well. So that's my encouragement to you, is that as you come together with people, as you generate friendships, be intentional, get closer to people and share from a heart level. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for your friendship with us. You tell us, Lord, because of what Jesus, your son, has done, that we are now friends with you, that we no longer are at enmity with you, that, Lord, there's a certain intimacy that exists between us. Lord, may it be that we forever grow closer to you. May it be that we strive for you and only you. Lord, walk with us on our journey. Let us know your presence is there and remind us of your promises to us that will never fail. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. food downstairs. If you didn't register, come down, because I'm sure there's more than enough, and I'm sure we're going to have a great time. It's a wonderful opportunity to begin practicing some of the friendship principles around the table with one another. So I've set it up for you guys. Practical experience. Let's, let, me, let me bless you. Father, I pray for my brothers and sisters. I pray for my friends, Lord. 
I pray that you would give them grace and grant them the ability, Lord, to love as you love them. Help them, Lord, to be thinking about their own friendships, where they can be intentional and where they need to change to be in align with your will. I pray, Lord, that you would do this for their benefit and for your glory and for those whom they love. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.